It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. If you're a regular listener of this show... I'm guessing you're finding a little more to celebrate and give thanks for this year than just cornbread. We will be celebrating the holiday on today's show in a very big way, the biggest way, by celebrating the fact that we have a new president-elect. Yes, it looks like the president of the United States' efforts to steal this election. And despite his whining baby tantrum, It looks like he is going to be booted out of office in less than two months from now, and President-elect Joe Biden will be taking the reins of this country on January 20th. We will be celebrating that fact as we still talk about the Trump administration and the Republican criminal organization's efforts to undermine the election and to undermine Biden's ability to fix this country and do what's necessary to bring us back together. We'll be talking about the state of the transition, And of course, we will be talking about the latest in COVID and our current administration's continuing unwillingness to do anything to save the lives of Americans. And then to double down on our celebration, we will be continuing our celebration of Thanksgiving holiday, well, so to speak, with a special episode of Forward Nation Radio in another couple of days. We will be celebrating with an interview with Forward Nation Radio founder and creator Damian Hardeen. I think it's kind of appropriate to do it at this point, not just because of Thanksgiving, but because Damian Hardeen created Forward Nation Radio to be a counterpoint, an antidote, if you will, to the misinformation that created Donald Trump and the Trump administration. In light of the fact that, fingers crossed, we look to be about to celebrate a new incoming administration, it seemed like a pretty good time to bring Damien back to talk about what he sees as the state of America right now and his hopes for the future. And, spoiler alert, he's got some optimistic things to say. That'll be in a special episode in a couple of days, so take a look for that as well. Anyway, let's get started. Uh... The latest on COVID, of course, uh, if you are somehow paying attention to your surroundings, you realize that COVID continues to skyrocket in America. We do have the promise sometime down the road of vaccines, but in the meantime, we are going through a nightmare, the likes of which we have not yet seen during the coronavirus crisis. We have passed, as of today, 12 and a third million Americans have been infected with the coronavirus. We have passed the 257,000 dead total. We are seeing, on average, more than 170,000 Americans contracting the virus every single day and more than 1,000 daily deaths nationwide. In fact, the U.S. has set a record in the past two weeks with 2 million new cases in two weeks. Yay, we got a new record. All right, never mind. Meanwhile, as COVID continues to grow out of control, where is our president? 
<laughs> That's basically a rhetorical question, of course. He's golfing and tweeting and having a shit fit about stolen elections that he's just imagined. As we, as we have become used to throughout the months of the COVID crisis, the President of the United States is doing absolutely nothing positive to address, well, a 9-11 every less than three days in America. Um, I suppose, to some extent, this week I have the, the displeasure of pointing out that at least the President of the United States, by hiding and doing absolutely nothing, uh, may actually be doing better than the governor of California has been doing this week, where he's been out meeting with lobbyists without wearing a mask. And you just can't make this shit up. You just, God, it's just, there's just almost nobody in positions of leadership that you can count on. What, a, what another statement about how people in power just get corrupted by power. Anyway, We're seeing increased unemployment claims again for the second straight month and record suffering in the United States. But to point out how, again, we live in two separate societies in America, it's important to note that American billionaires have just passed the one trillion mark, trillion with a T, in new wealth that they have amassed over the course of the coronavirus. Yes, while American normal Americans are filing unemployment rate, uh, claims at record paces, American billionaires have amassed an extra $1 trillion in new wealth. Gee, maybe the Biden administration will kind of act on some of this crap. Maybe Americans will support him for doing so. In the worst economic crisis since the 1930s, the wealth of U.S. billionaires grew by a third while the rest of us are so well, it's nice to know that some people are making out okay during COVID. Speaking about long national nightmares, is it possible that the long national nightmare of Donald Trump is soon to end? Well, at least this current iteration of Donald Trump, this current administration of Donald Trump, he wouldn't be the first president in U.S. history to have been voted out of office and then come back in four years later. Uh, thank you for that precedent. Who is that? Grover Cleveland, I think. Thank you for that precedent, Grover Cleveland. Um, but maybe he's out finally. It looks at this point like his efforts to end U.S. democracy and become an autocrat and steal this election. I can confidently, well, with some limited confidence, just, just afraid of everything as the Trump administration has taught me can say with some confidence that it looks like it's not going to work at this point. Thomas Friedman, in his column today, gives thanks to those in the administration and around the administration and the federal government and Republicans and Trump appointees who told the truth while the president tried to end democracy in America and steal an election. Yes, I would argue that's setting a pretty low bar for thanking people, but it is unfortunately a bar that was set by the President of the United States and his political criminal organization. That those people in and around the administration who managed to come out and say there wasn't electoral fraud and this election was honest, etc. Maybe this was enough to turn the tide and to keep, to keep democracy alive such as it is, functioning as it is in America, uh, in, in the face of an autocrat that wanted to destroy it. Donald Trump, during the week, had Michigan lawmakers to the White House. 
to convince them of the importance of not certifying election results. Well, remarkably, it was of little avail, where apparently some state lawmakers in Michigan showed more balls than the National Republican Party in somewhat standing up to Trump, coming out and saying, I haven't really seen anything, we, we haven't seen anything that's convinced us that the election results should not be certified, and then Michigan going ahead and certifying its election results. Uh, now, of course, it's, I'm saying that Trump didn't get his way, but I suppose it's possible that they went to the White House just so the President of the United States can convince them of the importance of taking their job seriously and certifying the election results once they were, yeah, yeah, whatever. I can't even, I can't even finish the joke. Um, Donald Trump seems to be acknowledging that he has lost the election slowly but surely. Oh, he's going to keep fighting. He's going to keep doing, and he's going to keep the grift going. He's certainly going to keep asking for donations from his supporters that he will then use to line his pockets and pay off his personal debts. But one of the fun parts here is how much in the last week Trump has been leaving his, shall I say, lawyers? Imagine air quotes here. His lawyers out to dry. And by lawyers, I mean the fucking insane clown posse that he has going into court to try to help him steal an election with with Trump-friendly judges. Uh, Just the last few days, if you haven't heard about Trump-affiliated attorney Sidney Powell, they're now kind of disavowing her a little bit, so we have to say Trump-affiliated. Going into court the United States court and claim that the presidential election was rigged by the, quote, massive influence of communist money, close quote. I didn't know there was any communist. I thought that was the problem with communism. There wasn't any money. Anyway, alleging that voting machines operators had injected votes in the middle of the night and that the machines used algorithmic technology developed by the Venezuelan leader, Hugo Chavez, who died in 2013. Yes, Hugo Chavez from Venezuela. That, apparently, is the man who has destroyed U.S. democracy. That's what Sidney Powell has been telling us. To be fair, this is really good news. One, that she she was laughed out of court, and she's been laughed out of court everywhere she's gone. But the good news is, at least she's using boogeyman Hugo Chavez to attack the left. She's she's not using anti-Semitic dog whistle George Soros. At least... Not that I know of yet. Maybe they'll be going into court next week and saying it was all engineered by George Soros. You know, the Jewish conspiracy in America. But of course, Sidney Powell is a minor character in this game. That gives us an opportunity to talk about Rudy. Good old Rudy. Um, Rudy has been going into court in America. You know, the guy who wants 20000 a day from, the Trump and from, from Donald Trump to be his lawyer. Um, was just shot down dramatically by a bunch of judges, including very famously a... Republican operative judge in Pennsylvania and a member of the Federalist Society, the where where Republicans go to hang out with their with their like kind in the judge circle. Uh, the, the judge in that case, this Republican operative, said to Giuliani, this court has been unable to find any case in which a plaintiff has sought such a drastic remedy, i.e. stopping people from voting. Uh, throwing out ballots in the contest of an election in terms of the sheer volume of votes asked to be invalidated. One might expect that when seeking such a startling outcome, a plaintiff would come formidably armed with compelling legal arguments and factual proof of rampant corruption. 
such that this court would have no option but to regrettably grant the proposed injunctive relief despite the impact it would have on such a large group of citizens. That has not happened. Instead, this court has been presented with strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations, unpled in the operative complaint and unsupported by the evidence. In other words, it's the Trump administration come to court. There's nothing there, people. You come into court and all you've got is Fox News? Again, this from a Republican judge aimed at Rudy Giuliani. Of course, we know he didn't just come to court with a bunch of lies. Uh, He came to court famously with a bunch of hair dye, which then started dripping down his face. (laughs) But anyway, um, the result from Trump judges, by the way, is somewhat uplifting that Republican judges are are throwing out these claims. I want to be clear. This is I don't think this speaks to the integrity. I don't think this speaks against the idea that there are Trump judges and their Obama judges. There are, as I've been arguing from the very beginning. What it speaks to is just how unbelievably insane the Trump administration's arguments are. And there is some level of insanity that they simply, the, the courts will not jump to. It makes me worried about whether we could get to this insanity in four or six or eight years. But because that's the way we tend to get to insanity, embrace insanity in America. We don't leap to it. We slide to it. Uh, more on Giuliani. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. The former mayor of New York, who is leading Trump's national effort to challenge the election's outcome, personally took charge of the case at a hearing in Williamsport last week and delivered a fevered, fumbling performance built on baffling conspiracy theories of a nationwide cabal of Democratic mayors working to rig the election for Biden that had little to do with what campaign lawyers had argued in their filings. In other words, the lawyers refused to to even write this down and sign their name to it, but Rudy went into court and just spouted nonsense. Anyway, the the Philadelphia Inquirer article goes on. He promised evidence he did not deliver. He promised affidavits detailing fraud. There were none. And he vowed statistical analysis that would prove Trump had won the state in a landslide. Nothing of the sort was ever filed with the court. This has led at least one congressman, New Jersey Congressman Bill Pascrell, to ask for Rudy Giuliani to be disbarred. Let that be a first step to him sharing a prison cell with Donald Trump for the rest of their lives. So meanwhile, the transition has begun. The Trump administration has backed down and has started in the face of the public security and safety threat that that their recalcitrance had been showing. They've started to cooperate with the Biden team on the transition. Of course, the transition begins, but the sabotage continues. And Fed uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, curtailed the Federal Reserve's emergency lending program that had been created to help our economy and keep our economy going and going well. He has curtailed it. For no reason, no stated reason, no rational reason other than to harm America beyond Biden's repair and to put America in a place where Biden could not fix it. This, of course, has been the Republican strategy for a very long time. 
It has been noted, by the way, that the Federal Reserve itself has publicly opposed the Treasury Secretary's decision. Uh, a remarkable departure, it was said by analysts, but from the central bank's almost invariable policy of publicly maintaining a united front with the Treasury. And yet, they've moved away from the Treasury. Jerome Powell, the Fed chair appointed by Donald Trump, said this week that the program should end when they are no longer needed. And I don't think that time is yet or very soon. And yet, in order to sabotage America so that Democrats and Joe Biden cannot take credit for fixing this country, which has been the Republican playbook for my lifetime, they're going to end. They they are ending this program, and it is questionable whether Biden will be able to bring it back. It's like the good old days of Obama obstruction, where I once again reminded that this is not sui generis from the Trump administration. This is a criminal political party that predated Donald Trump. It is a reminder that they spent eight years of the Obama administration sabotaging this country and trying to destroy the lives of millions of Americans so they could take power back because that's all they care about. Of course, they're also stepping up their illegitimacy claims while this is going on. This is going to be part of the attack on Biden's ability to get anything done in this country where they continue to tell their people that he is an illegitimate president. Because apparently in Republican circles, only presidents who lose the popular vote in an election can be considered legitimate presidents. And only elections that are stolen are in fact valid in America. Basically, the only legitimate elections are those that the minority party managed to steal. So this, again, is just pushing an envelope on a long, ignominious history in the Republican Party of doing everything they can to sabotage the country so that Democrats cannot possibly get credit for doing good things for the country and thus possibly sending Republicans to electoral exile where they belong. It's not anything new here. Again, through the entirety of the Obama administration, we saw it. We saw it throughout most of the Clinton, the, the entirety of the Clinton administration. We've seen it for a long time. We see it in the concept of starve the beast that I've talked about before on this show. One of the things that we can be confident in that the Republican Party will be rediscovering oh, pretty much any moment now is the idea that there's such a thing as a budget deficit, that spending money that you maybe you don't really seem to have might actually matter. Because we see this all the time. When Republicans have the presidency, they cut taxes for rich people and they don't worry about the cost of the national treasury. But as soon as Democrats take over, all of a sudden we are reintroduced to the concept of a budget and so-called financial sanity and responsibility. And we're told that we don't have any money in the Treasury. We're worried about deficits, so we don't have any money in the tre Treasury to spend on democratic reforms. That's known as starve the beast. The beast being the government. That Republicans completely bankrupt the country by giving tax cuts to rich people and looting whatever else is available. And then they say that, gee, too bad we don't have money to, you know, give child care to people in need or provide uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, to healthcare workers and frontline workers who needed to protect themselves from a deadly global pandemic. And gosh, it's too bad. We'd be okay with educating, even though, you know, spending money on education just tends to turn people into Democrats because it makes them informed and thoughtful. 
we'd spend money on education. It's too bad we don't have the money to spend on education. And as we've seen throughout the Trump administration, we're really big on infrastructure. Gosh, you know, too bad we don't have any money to spend on these things. Uh, in, that, in the case of the Trump administration, it wasn't the money. They just had no interest in spending on infrastructure. Well, this is what we're going to see writ large now over the next few years of the Biden administration and hopefully thereafter the Harris administration or something to follow it. All of a sudden, we'll be hearing from Republicans that we just don't have the money to spend on all these social programs that we so obviously need. That, among other things, COVID has convinced Americans that we actually need, and it's damn well time to bring them to us. The idea that frontline essential workers should be paid a human wage. The fact that people should get childcare so they could go to work. The fact that people should have health insurance. These are the things that all of a sudden the Republicans will be balking against because in their view, if God forbid President Biden and a Democratic Party gets to bring those to Americans, Americans might decide they like these things that make a lot of sense and therefore they might like the political party that brings it to them. This Republican obstructionism, this coup that's been going on blatantly for the last few weeks, but in a more subtle way for many, many years before that. Again, I worry is just the next step in a national progression where we continue to lower the bar for decency in America and let Republicans steal, hurt, lie, swindle even more than they were able to do before. One of the things that I've been listening to, of course, people talk about in intelligent, thoughtful society, of course, is whether Democrats should do anything about the courts that Republicans have so blatantly stolen. And that will be such a regressive force in America for possibly the rest of my lifetime. Should Democrats do anything about packing the courts? And, and to me, one of, the, one of the arguments against that that I so enjoy hearing, because, well, it makes me upset, I guess, uh, it's a little masochistic, I suppose. But the argument is, if the Democrats pack the courts, won't that just invite retaliation if Republicans and when Republicans take over? And I think a couple of things. One, it's that question is premised on the idea that the Republicans aren't doing everything they already can to cheat, lie, steal, and take over the powers of government. They're already doing it. What have we got to lose? They've already stolen the courts, the federal court system. So at least we'd have a few good years in the middle where we'd have a court system that actually reflects the value of Americans, the values that Americans hold dear. So why don't we get what we can for a little while? The idea that Republicans are going to get mad at us and they're going to start fighting dirty? What planet are we living on? that we think that the Republicans need further incentive to fight dirtier than they've already been fighting. As I've been calling for for a long time, I hope that Democrats decide to ignore Republican arguments to the contrary. Republican arguments about starve the beast, the size of the budget deficit, and what we can afford and what we can't. And I hope the Democrats ignore Republican arguments about playing nicely with others, with a party a criminal organization that has not played nicely with them and doesn't know how to play nicely. 
And I hope the Democrats ram through their agenda as much as they can to help and to benefit the American public. And then at least they'll have something to run on again in two years and four years. You like your child care? You like your better schooling? You like your school lunches? You like your stimulus checks? You like your job? Vote Democratic. At least give people something to fight for. Anyway, reality has seeped into our election enough that President-elect Joe Biden has begun to name his cabinet. This is something that I expect to be talking about at length over the coming weeks and months. We are already seeing the diversity and the talent that he had been talking about, including the first woman to lead the Treasury Department as Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. It will be weird seeing diversity in America again. It will be weird having people who know what they are doing back in government again. And finally, it will be weird, as apparently represented by Janet Yellen, it will be weird having people with some notion of humanity back running the United States government again. But it will be welcome. I guess this is what happens when you again have a president who cares about being president and governing. Perhaps even improving the lives of his citizens. And it, too, will be welcome. Anyway, that's it for this, the first of our two Thanksgiving shows. Don't forget to look for our special episode with our interview of Forward Nation Radio founder and creator Damian Hardeen and what he thinks about the elections and the future of this country. That will be coming shortly. Until then, enjoy a very happy and safe Thanksgiving and weekend, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 